This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So what do you want to talk about today? My gosh. What is going on? Jesperson and Hicks here with you. It is August 9th. It's Tuesday. Thanks for checking out Real Talk. In about 10 minutes, we're going to get into an essay contest. You're going to go, really? They're almost virtually leading with an essay contest? What kind of a boring show is this? No, my friends. It's an essay contest that has that has grabbed uh, the attention of, in particular, Albertans. But I'm sure that well, I know for a fact people across Canada are talking about it because we're already hearing from our friends in Ontario this morning, mocking our entire home province for handing out a bronze medal in an essay contest uh, to a young person espousing white replacement theory and the idea that basically women should be told that their place is in the home uh, giving birth to kids. So much so, this essay plants its flag, leaves uh, no doubt around its position statement, medals. They propose medals be handed out to women who have two or more children. Actual medals. When you sent me the quotes for this to throw up today for the visuals, I thought you were joking. I thought it was a literal joke. <laughs> and did you think think it might be a little bit risky for two like, guys to go out and present this essay? This No, this is a real essay. It's the Her Vision Inspires Essay Contest presented by Alberta's, uh, well, it's presented by the Legislative Assembly, awarded by the, <laughs> it's not funny. It is so funny, but it is not funny not at, at all. all. It's it's funny. You know what's who? I don't know who we originally attribute the quote to. We laugh so we don't cry. But that's this is a prime example. Uh, the Ministry of the Status of Women is handing out these awards and the bronze medal. Uh, put it this way: they've pulled the entire contest down from their website. Just when you thought an essay contest for like seventeen to twenty-five year olds could be the least controversial thing possible, leading a government, or in this case, let's be more honest, a political party, but yeah, a government to pull down the essay contest winners, to pull down the contest entirely from its website. That's what's happened here. We're going to talk to Racky Pancholi about that. She's the MLA uh, out of our home city, Edmonton, White Mud. It's been a while since. Racky was on the show. I'm looking forward to talking to her about that. But the big story today, obviously, internationally, is the FBI raiding a former president's home, Mar-a-Lago, down in Florida. Donald Trump releasing a statement yesterday after federal agents executed what's known as a no-knock warrant, uh, says the president, they even broke into my safe. It's kind of how raids work, uh, Mr. President. But Donald Trump is is obviously very upset about this raid by federal agents. It's been indicated. And of course, we're going to learn more details today and over the next number of days about what is behind this. But so says 45, the former president of the United States. These are dark times for our nation. My beautiful home in Palm Beach, Florida, as he wrote this, currently under siege, raided and occupied by a large group of FBI agents. Nothing like this has ever happened to a president of the United States before. He calls it prosecutorial misconduct, calls it the weaponization of the justice system, an attack by radical left Democrats, he says, who 
desperately don't want me to run for president in 2024. He says such an assault could only take place in broken third world countries. Sadly, America has now become one of those countries, corrupt at a level not even seen before. They even broke into my safe, says the president. What is the difference between this and Watergate? News reports uh, through the afternoon into the evening, particularly in the late evening when this story was really breaking, when this was happening, you could see video, uh, not just federal agents, not just a heavy law enforcement presence, but also several dozen Trump supporters showed up in the area to show their support, to wave their Trump. 2024 flags to, to to wear you know rocking those red mega hats and of course politicians have chimed on on this as well i mean this is a time where the republicans are, are rallying behind do i dare say the the likely republican nominee i mean maybe desantis and others might have something to say about that maybe ted cruz hasn't given up on his dream i don't know but perhaps the next Republican nominee for president. And here's what some of the politicians have had to say about this from from both sides of the aisle, if you will. Not everybody's upset about this. Of course, a lot of people are gleefully uh, taking this all in. Uh, like, you know, Pramila Jayapal, for example, House of Representatives says this is what happens when you break the law. You try to steal an election. You incite a deadly insurrection. She says uh, Donald Trump should be in jail. And I'm glad to see the FBI taking steps toward accountability. Here's what Trump supporters have said, though. The governor out of South Dakota, Christy Noem, says the, the FBI raid on President Trump's home is an unprecedented political weaponization of the Justice Department. They've been after President Trump as a candidate, as president, and now as a former president. Using the criminal justice system in this manner is un-American. Uh, House leader, Republican uh, Kevin McCarthy says, uh, Attorney General Garland, speaking out to the AG, says, preserve your documents and clear your calendar. (laughs) (laughs) I like this from the Twitter account, Translate Things. It says, you know, breaking news. You know, does it grab your attention when a tweet says breaking in all caps? It's probably the most abused word on Twitter. And that's saying something. People breaking, but breaking Donald Trump's personal library was destroyed in the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago. Both books sadly beyond repair, and he hadn't even finished coloring one in yet. So that's disappointing for the president. And if you don't follow Pete Souza on Instagram, make sure you do. The former White House photographer, he shares, I mean, the the way, I don't want to sort of spell out how he uses his Instagram account because it's it's both subtle and obvious at the same time, but a, a brilliant photographer. He was in the White House with Barack Obama. He's photographed other presidents as well. Pete Souza sharing an archive photo of President Barack Obama of 44. The caption, the president was free to leave after visiting a federal prison in 2015. A little editorializing there. I saw Rachel Maddow, the political commentator, last night on cable news saying this is going to be the type of situation where you're going to want to go out. Americans are going to go out to their newsstands and actually buy physical paper copies of the newspapers with the the headlines, the front pages featuring this raid. She says, because you're going to want a paper copy to be able to show your kids and your grandkids and their kids and their grandkids what life was like during this time, an unprecedented time. And that word maybe is getting diluted a little bit. Maybe it's losing its meaning a little bit. It feels like it, doesn't it? But really, she went on to say, what will the generations after us think about what it was like 
during this time. The home of a former president raided by the FBI. Keep in mind, there's going to be bombs thrown today by Trump, obviously by his most ardent supporters. They're doing some heavy lifting on Fox right now. I'm not sure if you saw a stammering Sean Hannity last night suggesting that anybody that's associated with Trump will need to dot their T's and cross their I's. Not my mistake, his. Dot the T's and cross the I's, says Sean Hannity, clearly rattled by this. You know the combo of Alex Jones, all his text messages and the contents of his phone being leaked, Mm -hmm. and then this raid on Trump's mansion in Mar-a-Lago? I'm not necessarily drawing a line between the two, Mm -hmm. but do you think there are people like Sean Hannity, Roger Stone, Steve Bannon, and others that might be a little bit nervous right now? I think there's a lot of older white men in the States who are having a glass of scotch over a barrel that's burning a lot of documents (laughs) in their backyard or if you're trump trying to flush them down the toilet you remember that when the toilet got plugged in the oval office maybe not the toilet in the oval office but a toilet at the white house they said because the president was trying to flush documents down the toilet I saw a pretty great take on that somebody said what sort of political acumen does it demonstrate when you're clogging toilets getting rid of documents in a house that has 25 fireplaces. But I digress. Not the point. This is all apparently related to some classified documents. Uh, The FBI reportedly seizing about 15 boxes worth of documents and other materials that were reportedly taken to Mar-a-Lago following during or following the Trump presidency. And so we're going to learn more details on this. And this is obviously a story that we'll pay close attention to. You can let us know how this is landing with you. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can send us your emails And of course, Real Talk RJ, the hashtag that we keep an eye on. That hashtag is powered by our friends at Park Power, who want to remind you today, not only are they your friendly local utilities provider, not only do they bundle their services, giving you a great deal on electricity, natural gas, and internet, but at Park Power, they also take 10% of their profits and proceeds from electricity, and they plug them back into the community. Yeah, that's right. It's like a profit sharing with charities in the area where they live and work. What better reason do you need to take your business over to Park Power? You can compare rates today. Make sure you use the promo code 2022-REALTALK when you sign up to save $70 off your first bill. You know, for over 160 years, Covenant Health has made a huge difference for patients and their loved ones. And for the past 30 years, the Covenant Foundation Lottery has played a role, a big one, in making a difference for those in their care. Every ticket purchased has a far-reaching impact. Check out covenantfoundationlottery.ca today. You could qualify to win that stunning $2.2 million dream home. The final deadline for that is coming up in November. The grand prize draw on November 24th. You can check it out, the house online, obviously, or if you want to drive by, if you're in our neck of the woods, it's on Hayes Ridge Boulevard in Edmonton. Just take a look at the signs. You'll be able to track it down. The master crafted by Hillview Master Builder. John, this is a 5,400 square foot home Ooh-wee. with five bathrooms. I'd sell it the next day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think they say. I, would, I think the experts say you got to live in it for a year to avo- uh-huh. to avoid the heavy tax. You you got to live in it for a year, make it your oh, primary. So yeah, it's yeah. you got to be your primary residence. 
Otherwise, I think it's capital gains, right? Two point two million dollar dream home. You're you're paying a hefty tax on that. Have a lot of parties for one year. Well, and they have a botanical room. They have a backyard patio and a botanical room. The sky's the limit on how you could enjoy this home. Oh, plus a Tesla Model S. The bonus prize if you get your tickets. Make sure by September first. You got a couple of weeks to do that. A few weeks at Covenant Foundation Lottery. And our friends at Eden Landscaping wanted to remind you that there's so many more options out there, especially for our front yards, than just a whole bunch of sod. All right, that one lonely fledgling tree that's going to look amazing 30 years from now. But don't you want to enjoy your outdoor space? Don't you want to bring it to life? Think beyond just a lawn. Bring back the purpose to your yard. Make it useful for something other than your lawnmower. Because frankly... Says Eden Landscaping, grass isn't much fun unless you're smoking it. That's their copy, (laughs) not ours. That's their copy, not ours. But Real Talk officially agrees with that assessment. You can learn more about Eden Landscaping. Beauties to deal with. Mike and his team at landscapeedmonton.ca. So we're talking about this essay contest. If you haven't heard about it yet, we're about to rattle your cage. I don't know how else to put it. This is uh, an essay contest that was launched back in February through the the Legislative Assembly of Alberta. And it's called the Her Vision Inspires Essay Contest. And it was open to young people. It was open to young women, as a matter of fact, aged 17 to 25, who were invited to submit an essay up to 500 words describing their unique vision for Alberta specifically what they would do if they were an MLA, if they were an elected representative in the Legislative Assembly of Alberta. First prize was awarded. Second prize was awarded. And third prize went to an entrant that has, how do you put this politely? Or do we even need to be polite? You can't. It's prompted a bunch of people, I think, to drop their coffee mugs this morning as they've read the following takes. Now, I won't read the essay in its entirety, but here are some of the highlights. (laughs) Quote, while it is sadly popular nowadays to think Albertan children are unnecessary and we can import foreigners to replace ourselves, this is a sickly mentality that amounts to a drive for cultural suicide. The essay goes on to suggest to try to promote that women break into careers that men traditionally dominate is not only misguided, but it's harmful. It wraps by suggesting the third take that we should reward families with medals to symbolize their valuable achievement of having two or more children. This is not one that was entered into the contest you can't really control that this is one of the winners this was one that placed on the podium third place as awarded by alberta's ministry of the status of women Racky pancholi sits in opposition with the ndp at alberta's legislature as the elected mla for edmonton white mud kind enough to join us this morning on relatively short notice it's been a while and it's nice to see your face again it's nice to see you too, Ryan. Always a great way to wake up in the morning is to be on the show with you. So thanks for having me. Appreciate that. Hey, what did you do the very first time? Like John said that he didn't believe when I sent him these quotes to do the graphics up for our YouTube broadcast. He didn't think it was real. I had to triple check it. This is unbelievable. Your reaction? Uh, 
Uh, yeah, the uh, shock. I mean, I want to give credit to my colleague, my very hardworking colleague, uh, MLA Janice Irwin, uh, who actually sent it to me. And we both were in shock. There was a lot of expletives, a lot of emojis, and uh, just really shocked. I mean, let's be clear. Uh, you read out some of the lowlights, I would say, from that essay. And as you mentioned, this was chosen as a winner, not just by the, uh, the status of women ministry, but by allegedly by a number of uh, women UCP MLAs, because I can tell you that none of the NDP MLAs were invited to be sitting as a panel member to judge these essays. We were not involved in this. Um, and to see that this was chosen, those those quotes that you gave, Ryan, I mean, they are pretty blatantly uh, misogynistic. They are sexist. They are racist. And they are transphobic. And uh, to see that this was chosen by the UCP government as a winner, uh, as a vision for women in this province, was absolutely jaw-dropping. Uh, it's not my initial instinct. <clears throat> it's not my inclination to try to jump to the defense of of governments or politicians. and But I think that sometimes as a human being, you want to give someone the benefit of the doubt or you want to suggest that maybe they didn't see this. There's no way they could possibly have seen this. But this was not buried on page 464 of some three-volume thesis. This is a maximum 500-word essay. It is impossible to miss some of the egregious statements, even if you're just scanning the essay. And that makes me, uh, that I think is probably why I'm most aghast, because at this point you wonder what was the, I mean, uh, there's no way they missed this. There's no way. And there's also no way they thought that people weren't going to notice this unless maybe the essay contest was flying under the radar. But I'm, I'm as you can tell, I'm still trying to, figure out what to say about it my jaw is still on the floor well you know i i think uh there's going to be some tough questions today for uh a lot of certainly for the minister for the status of women uh, jackie armstrong hominick as well as the ucp members who sat on that panel to explain why they thought that this essay was worthy of awarding something to uh, and highlighting. Uh, they have some tough questions to answer, but I think really, Ryan, I mean, if we zoom out a little bit, like, let's talk about, it. first of all, an essay contest was not what, what women in Alberta are asking for. I mean, women in Alberta right now are deeply concerned about things like access to obstetrics and health care. I mean, we've got how many communities in this province right now where obstetrics have actually been closed down so women can't actually get to a hospital to actually deliver. They have to travel long distance to do that. They want to have, you know, women in this province want to see real supports for their family at a time when the cost of living is skyrocketing. They want to know how they're going to pay their grocery bills. Uh, they want to know how they're going to pay for gas. Uh, women want to know, uh, you know, how are they, how, how are their businesses being supported? We know that women's startups, for example, example, are some of the most successful in this province. And yet they, where's the plan for supporting women entrepreneurs? There's they, that's what they want. Instead, they got an essay contest where this frankly offensive, uh, backwards, uh, and deeply dangerous and misguided essay was chosen as a winner to be a vision for, for women in Alberta that apparently our value is only based on 
our ability to give birth and reproduce uh, and, and to reproduce to avoid having to, quote, import foreigners. I mean, this is so deeply offensive and not at all what women in this province are asking for. Um, and let's be clear. I mean, the UCP doesn't have a great track record on this, right? You know, when, when Roe v. Wade was struck down in the U.S., they were incredibly dismissive to the very real fears that women in this province and across the country have about how their access to reproductive health services might be affected or restricted. The government was completely dismissive of that. They've made no commitment to expand supports to reproductive health services. Um, and we know that they've, you know, they've continually ignored uh, women in terms of our economic recovery. Uh, we see some deeply concerning uh, comments from members of the, of the UCP. And so to have this now awarded something is really deeply troubling and shocking. Yeah. I mean, if, if people want, I, I know how it goes, Racky, because I've seen this these conversations before and I've seen public discourse devolve to the point where you'll say this is racist and people go, oh, it's racist. They'll roll their eyes. I mean, it's called white replacement theory. That's literally what this essay is about. You know, yeah. 80s Fanify is watching us right now live on YouTube, says note the initials. The, the, the pen name this person used, whether it's real or not, I don't know, is S Silver. Uh, says notice the initials, SS. Uh, kind of interesting. I mean, it's, it, it's literally, uh, it doesn't reference like Nazi doctrine from the 1930s, but that's it's literally the playbook from which the Nazis operated. So that's an interesting point on our live chat here. Karen says, I just feel so bad for the first and second place winners. Like all of the attention going to this piece of garbage. Luke's wondering if Jordan Peterson wrote this. And Randy says like this, you know, the interesting thing about this, he goes, I'm, I'm not even certain that this government knows that Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale is supposed to be a work of fiction, <laughs> like not a template from which to actually govern. That was one of the things that actually really jumped out at me. I think the, I don't know, know if we need to, to compete here or, or categorize it. The most offensive, I mean, I guess, depending on your perspective, <laughs> it's all pretty bad. I think giving women medals for having two or more children is is like that kind of made me laugh. That was the one that made me laugh. I mean, I think because, like I said earlier, so you don't cry. Um, there are people that would love to have kids that can't. There are people that don't want to have kids. There are people that have one. Kid. I mean, I don't think I need to explain why that's egregious. The white replacement theory line was wild. But what really, just to just to be a bit of a, a political geek for a sec, a political nerd, the specific assignment of this essay contest was to talk about what you would do if you were an elected member of the Legislative Assembly, if you were an MLA. And what does the essay suggest? It suggests that women should not be told that they can make an impact in areas where men typically dominate. They, they talk about how that's harmful. Like, where is that more evident? Maybe Fortune 500 boardrooms, but where is that more evident than politics? Well, and you know what? I mean, I, I I had to kind of laugh at that as well as a woman who is in a sphere that has been dominated by men for so long and continues to be dominated by men um, to suggest then that, you know, the future for women in Alberta and what to do as an MLA would be to not actually be an MLA because it is a sphere that has been dominated by men. And so, you know, it's, it's incredibly backwards. So I would argue that the essay didn't even meet the requirements of the so-called called contest. But again, like this is a really troubling endorsement of these kinds of views. And I and I take your point, Ryan, that, you know, there's there's always people are sometimes these terms are, are used and people say, is that really racist? Well, you know what, this this actually is not a dog whistle. This is actually a blatant racist statement when we're talking about women having to give birth so that Albertan women giving birth and, and reproducing so that they don't have to import foreigners to replace Albertans. I mean, 
that is not a dog whistle. That is blatantly, uh, you know, a shout out to the to the great replacement theory. There's no secret behind there. And, you know, I don't want to speculate on, on on the author of the, the essay. I don't know who this person is or who she is and and why she wrote it. She's obviously deeply misguided. But I think we have to go back to the fact that nobody forced the UCP to choose this this essay as their winner. I was going to say, Racky, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Well, I was just no, going to no. say, like, it, the, the essay almost is irrelevant, right? I yeah. mean, it's not, it's obviously relevant, but but the author, if the author is a real, I mean, it's obviously a real person, but if it's S. Silver, if it is a woman, like, who knows, really, who cares? It's the fact it was selected. It's the fact that, like I said, this essay wound up on the podium. And even if they only, you know, like I've been part of like TV and radio contests. I used to host morning shows. Like sometimes you get three entries for a contest where there's three prizes and everybody wins. Even in that circumstance, you vet the entries, you read them. I mean, the question is what really needs to be the focus here. And the reason why I think maybe I'm a little worked up right now is because it demands like who chose this? Right. Who did this pass through? Whose eyes did whose desk did this work across? And what does that say? People today are demanding a response from government. And what I think is really interesting, nobody seems to really care what the premier says anymore. He's on his way out. And I'm not sure that his opinion on this would be relevant. People want to know in particular what the women who are seeking the leadership of the UCP, in other words, who are seeking to be the next premier, what they have to say about this. People want to know what Danielle Smith and, and Rajan Sani and Rebecca Schultz and Leela here have to say about this. What would be an appropriate or sufficient response, do you think, from your position in opposition? There is only one response that's appropriate, which is a complete rejection of what this essay says and asking for clear accountability as to why any UCP members voted in favor of this essay uh, and and why they chose it and what message they're trying to send to not only women in Alberta, but remember, this is supposed to be geared towards young women in Alberta. I mean, this message that it sends is is incredibly offensive and it counters everything, any progress that we've made, uh, any improvements that we've made in terms of women's equality, it is completely backwards. And so I think there's only one response that not just the leadership candidates should be giving, uh, but really all UCP MLAs, which is an absolute rejection and answering for, accounting for why their members chose this to be a message to Alberta women and to young women about what they believe their role is and their contribution is to Alberta as a society. Because there, there's really no skirting around it. We know we saw the, the the website, you know, very mysteriously come down suddenly last night. And in typical fashion, we know this government and, and its members are not very good at taking accountability um, and answering for their mistakes. Um, but I think we need, we need answers. Um, uh, because this is not just about the leadership candidates. It's also about the sitting MLAs that chose this these essays. Um, I mean, they are going to be up for re-election as well. And we need to have some answers as to why they believe that this is the future for women in this province. Sometimes on this show, we're not going to find an answer. We're not going to like solve the issue. It just needs to be addressed. And uh, quite frankly, every once in a while, I feel like I need to just blow off a little steam and, and, and ask aloud, am I the only one that's just completely, my mind is just scrambled egg right now over this i just can't even everyone's you know it, it sometimes uh, we can be proud of where we're from and also be deeply embarrassed and uh, this is one of those news stories that people in bc and ontario and people say, eh, but but honestly people are going to look and go like let me guess alberta and i'm just kind of quite frankly 
getting a little bit sick and tired of being so embarrassed, you know? And uh, I don't even know if there's an ad. I think I just, I don't think I'm alone in this. Maybe misery loves company. I have a feeling people are going to check out this show to hear this, but uh, I don't know if there's a solution to this except to just point it out and say, you know, as 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 the, the dude says in the Big Lebowski, like this, this cannot stand. Well, and I think this is again about the story that the UCP is telling about Alberta, which does not reflect the story that most Albertans know and experience. Yes, there are issues with sexism and racism in our in our society that we have to address, and I don't want to downplay that. We have some very real issues going on here. Sure. But the image and story that this government continues to tell about Alberta, not only does it is does it is it embarrassing for us? I mean, it's damaging to our economy. It's damaging to um, you know businesses who are trying to attract talent. Um, you know, people who are saying this is a great place to live. We're trying to attract workers to come here to you know live in our in our in our province and experience our education system. And we want to tell them we're a great place for their for them to raise their children. Uh, and this just continues to tell the wrong story about Alberta. And I'm tired of it as well because I know that there's a enormous diversity potential progress that's being made in this province. There's such excitement when I go to places like Calgary about new opportunities in tech and, and renewable energy. There's lots of exciting things that are happening. And this is the story that the UCP continues to tell. And so really, you know, when we want to hear leadership from this government, it's first of all, not doing things like this, like they've done, Ryan. Um, but also it's about being really clear about taking progressive action forward to show who we really are. You know, I'd like to see all these UCP leadership candidates come forward and say, we're making a commitment um, to having, uh, you know, equal representation in our legislature. You know, I'm really proud as the NDP, we've made it very clear we are going to have a gender balanced cabinet if we're elected government. We have almost 50% of our elected members are women right now. We took a clear position on reproductive health rights that we would expand it. And we took some made some great progress when we were in government to expand access to, to reproductive health services. And we need to do more. We've been really clear about that. We've been clear about having, uh, you know, a forward facing career curriculum, investing in our post-secondary, talking about clean tech and, and renewable energy. Those are the things that Alberta wants to talk about and Albertans want to talk about, not this uh, embarrassing, but also really detrimental um, to our growth and, and uh, where we position ourselves in our country and globally when we're trying to attract new people. We don't need more of this. We need a change. And I'm going to say it right now because I think it's really important, Ryan. We don't need more of that. We need a uh, we need a government that's actually going to serve Alberta families and our communities and our business as well by telling the story about who Alberta really is. You know, I appreciate it. I, I will say this in, in rebuttal, uh, Racky, is that, I mean, you think of the recruitment power, though, of women across the country that hear that as soon as they have two kids, they're going to get a medal. I mean, that's got to be pretty exciting. There's a lot I'm of people that have medal. Yeah, there's a where's your medal? There's where's a, my medal? There's a lot of people that haven't won medals in a while and, and, and don't underestimate the value. I mean, I see my little guy at the end of the soccer season when he gets his medal. I see how that makes him feel. It makes all yeah. the hard hard work worth it right oh totally all right. the I hard mean, work childbirth and all of that was totally worth it if <laughs> i get a medal yeah. you know no, who, no problem who do you and think by the way right uh, you can uh, you can blow steam off with me whenever you want i told my son my nine-year-old son that i was coming on jesperson this morning and he said oh i like ryan he swears a lot oh 
<laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I get reminded that. I get reminded that every once in a while from parents that say, you, you know, real talk is on in the home. And I go, right, right. So I'm trying to get better at the ear, the quick earmuffs warning, but sometimes they slip out, you know, Racky? Um, uh, you know, my son's, you know, his mom's in politics. So, you know, I'm sure he's heard a few bad He's heard it all. Things. Yeah. Well, hey, <laughs> hey, tell your little man that he is our target demo. You tell him how much we appreciate him tuning in. We want to be, we want to make sure that the young people, I mean, these, these are the, as we say, the movers, the shakers, and the difference makers. And that starts at a young age. And, and I'm not surprised to hear that, that your boy is one of those that's engaged and that's informing himself with some real talk. That means a lot to us. Uh, let me take a serious uh, turn for a second before I let you go. And I know, I know we've hit our time of how long I asked you to stay. Do you have a couple more minutes? I sure do. Okay, Racky, this is, I, I saw you quoted in a report. Nicholas Fru does a great job for CBC News. This is a really tough story, though. Uh, the numbers show that four in five people, 80% of people who died last year while receiving child welfare in Alberta were indigenous. Now, the numbers are up. 49 children, youth, and young adults died in the care of child welfare under the child welfare banner in Alberta in 21, 22, uh, 39 of those were indigenous. Now, some speculation is that the numbers are up. The numbers are up 15 deaths from last year. It may have something to do with the pandemic. We know that there are a disproportionate number of indigenous children in care. How are you sorting through? This is tough subject matter. Young people dying in care. How are you making sense of it? How are you sorting through it? And what does the public need to know about this story that goes beyond just the numbers these are human beings yeah and this is uh it is very difficult conversation but it's a deeply important one to have because albertans need to know that i mean when we're talking about children and young people in the child intervention system these are the most vulnerable young people in our province there's no doubt about it they are uh often lack parental supports they're in temporary custody they are in the care and responsibility of the government um, and so when we see those numbers rising, we saw them rising we, and we as, as, as the opposition and myself as critic have been raising this alarm for some time about those numbers. Um, and yes, it was a difficult time during the pandemic. We know that, but that's when really the focus should have been on providing additional supports and really focusing efforts on those most vulnerable young people in, uh, in our province. So those numbers tell a really dire story, but it's not a story that is um, new. Really, you know, we had the Pope coming to visit Alberta recently, and and it, a lot of talk about residential schools, of course, as we need to have, but people need to understand, and Albertans need to understand, that our child intervention and child welfare system is an extension of residential schools. It is about the pain and trauma that we witnessed on so many people's faces and Indigenous people's faces over this Pope's visit. I mean, that pain and trauma continues on uh, in our child welfare system and the over-representation of Indigenous children. So, you know, Ryan, we've been talking about a lot of important things that need to be done. Um, while we were in government, we brought forward an all-party panel uh, on child intervention that came forward with 39 recommendations uh, on how to address address some of these issues. We've had very little to no transparency from the current UCP government over the last three years about what work they've done on that action plan. And in the meantime, we've seen these numbers increase. We've also seen that this government has cut off financial supports for young people transitioning out of care. And when you look at those numbers of the deaths, the significant rises in young people transitioning out of care. So, you know, we've got to reverse that. We've got to have some transparency and accountability. And really what's really important too is to 
realize that, you know, there is a transformation going on right now in our system with Bill C-92, which is federal legislation, which grants um, Indigenous governing bodies and First Nations the authority to take responsibility for their children and their families as they always should have been doing. And we need to see this government, the provincial government and the federal government come forward with really clear supports to those First Nation communities so that they can take over responsibility as they want to, as they have the right to do, but they need to be supported and resourced to do it properly. And that's where I'm really concerned. It's been complete silence from the current Minister of Children's Services. He's it appears to be a lame duck minister, just like we have a lame duck premier right now. Um, and there's really no action happening, but we need really clear direction and strategy and, and resources from this provincial government to support First Nation communities to take responsibility uh, over child welfare. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that comment. Have you gone on the record yet whether or not you're seeking re-election next year? I have. I have indeed. I was nominated already just a few months ago. So I will be running again in 2023 to represent the fantastic people of Edmonton White Mud. And I'm very proud to do so. There you go. That's MLA Racky Pancholi. Thanks for hanging out with us. It's nice to see you again. Thanks, Ryan. Great to see you, too. Yeah, you bet. Boy, does that ever mean a lot. Hey, when you hear that Real Talk like is hitting the different generations of a family. You yes. got you. You got the but like. She's I, out there, an elected representative. She's making it happen yeah. at the legislature, and then she's got her little guy, nine years old, who's also paying attention to the show. And then I think back to all the times we have been swearing, or in a in a I'm not, trash I'm not, talk. I'm not going to suggest. I hope need to tone it down. We always suggest that trash talk be limited to those who can handle the heat, so mm, to speak. Mm. You know what you're getting with trash talk. Yeah. Right, because these are this is us reading your words. Friday, driving the kids home from school, you kind of turn off the last ten minutes. Of yeah, real talk. It's a trash talk <laughs> is is for the mummies and the daddies and the grown ups <laughs> yes. and the. Uh, but uh, at, at the same time, you know, I, I think that by the time you're nine years old, mm. uh, I, I'm I'm not suggesting that all of us don't need to keep it classy. And uh, and we try to not have real talk be some some sort of a, a cesspool where we're, we're in the muck and mire and we're in the gutter and we're throwing out swears because, you know, I mean, they, what they say in, in stand up comedy wasn't this always like Jerry Seinfeld's idea that, that only the lazy comedians needed to swear mm. that you shouldn't need to swear to make your point. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, you, you know, you got to have that punch power. Yeah. You got to invoke that word to grab people's attention. Like when Charles Adler drops an F bomb on real talk, you listen up. it's like people haven't heard Charles Adler drop F bombs for 35 years, at least not publicly. Yeah. And so people get a bit of a kick out of it, but, but we appreciate our listeners young and old. I wonder if Racky's little guy, checked out our interview the other day with Wyatt Sharp, the 13-year-old podcaster. Great How interview. impressive is that guy? Love that kid. I don't want to call him a kid, though. I, I feel just, like he's, he's, he's like more a, mature than I am. He's, he, he, he's a young person. <laughs> yeah. Remember somebody wrote in, I wish I could remember who the real talker was, but someone said, like, he's, he's a person. Just call him a person. He's a yeah. person. He is a person. There you go. Uh, appreciate your comments. Uh, of course, I'm expecting a whole bunch of emails about this story. Uh, you can let us know anything. Although at the same time, I find myself a little twisted up in that interview with Racky because it's like once I made my case of how it's not even my case. Once I just put the words in front of you and said, how ridiculous is this? What else is there to say except to demand accountability from the people who awarded it? There it's not even about the essay writer. It's not. I mean, it's troubling to know that there are people that believe that if that is indeed a young person and if it is indeed legitimately 
a young woman who has been told this stuff, who's been brainwashed and who's been conditioned to believe this stuff. Like, what was the one quote? Can you bring it up again about women shouldn't be told to do things where men dominate? What was that quote again out of the essay? That was the one. I mean, all of it is mind blowing. And, and here I am revisiting it. I'll get off this. I promise. Quote, to try to promote that women break into careers that men traditionally dominate is not only misguided, but it is harmful. Like what? What? Dwayne, this is supposed to be an essay on what you would do if you were a politician. Dwayne, and, Dwayne said on the chat here, he's like, it's not even that. It's just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. Like I go home to Ontario and Vancouver and, and my relatives and friends say, why do you live in Alberta? And I say, because we love it. We've lived in Ontario. We've lived in Vancouver. We lived in Kelowna. We love it. And then this shit. And this is like, I want to be like, this isn't Alberta. It's but, not. But it kind of is in a way. But it, it kind of is. It gets so much people. This is what people see, right? We're about to talk to Jashvina Shah, the, the uh, hockey reporter and author of an, an amazing book, Game Misconduct, Hockey's Toxic Culture and How to Fix It. And it's going to be the same sort of a thing, I bet. I mean, I'm not going to say what she's going to say. I don't know. But it would be the same sort of a thing where you take a look at hockey and in the title of her book, the sub headline, How to Fix T Hockey's Toxic Culture. And people will say, well, yeah, but like hockey, but like I love hockey and that and it's not all hockey. It's not all hockey players, right? That is hockey, but it's not hockey. This is Alberta, but it's not Alberta, but it kind of is. And how do we keep burying our heads in the sand? We got to hit this stuff head on. I guarantee I'll get accused of carrying water for Rachel Notley, but let me just say that this is exactly what she was referring to when she talked about Alberta as the embarrassing cousin. And the comment was weaponized by political opportunists, and you don't blame them because politicians going to politic. They're going to seize whatever they can, and the NDP does it aimed at the UCP as well, and politicians from all parties do it to each other. But was she wrong? She wasn't wrong. I mean, I've referred to Alberta as the drunk uncle before, specifically as the drunk uncle Larry. I heard from a couple Larrys that didn't appreciate it. My apologies, fellas. Not all Larrys. But seriously, that's exactly what Rachel Notley was talking about. Jashvina Shaw coming up in just a moment. Plus, we're going to introduce you to this remarkable 20-year-old, an inventor, an entrepreneur in the spotlight of the leading edge. That coming up in just a moment. We mentioned Trash Talk. That's presented every Friday here on the show by our friends at Local Environmental Services. And they want to remind you that they're about so much more than just garbage, right? I mean, they have a community connection that they're very proud of. They're a local company from their ownership to their staff to their clients. And they believe that a partnership approach to doing business is key to their success and to your success as their customer. Local's a multifaceted company that can provide the same level of sophisticated technology as the multinationals with the customer service of a family-operated business. In Edmonton and surrounding area, they provide all facets of waste and recycling collection. They've just expanded into northern Alberta, into Saskatchewan, and they live, work, and raise their families in the markets they service. You can keep it local today by visiting localenvironmental.ca. Our friends at Kubi Energy want to make sure that you don't miss out on an amazing new federal program, a $40,000 interest-free loan for homeowners that are looking to install solar. You can learn more on their blog at kubienergy.com. 
www.ca. Now, this is in addition to a $5,000 rebate from the federal government. If you happen to live in Edmonton, there's another four grand on the table. If you're doing the math, you're quickly realizing that your solar goals may be more achievable sooner than you think. You can check out their projects. Check out these clean installs across BC and Alberta at kubienergy.ca. And before we get to our next interview, I heard that there was uh, an impromptu encounter at the Friesen Brothers <laughs> in South Edmonton yesterday. My, was, my, yeah, my, my, in, my beautiful partner in life came home and she said, I ran into to Johnny and fam. What were you guys picking up at Friesen Brothers yesterday? We picked up a ton of uh, delights. Uh, some local gin and sodas made by, oh, I got to get the pictures. I'll throw them up tomorrow. By these were the non-alcoholic gin sodas, no, right? No, these are, these are alcoholic gin sodas. What? What are you talking about? At Friesen Brothers? Pre-mix, six-pack. Oh, dude. 20 bucks. I took that home. We took home some uh, some fresh uh, jackfruit steaks we're going to cook up later this weekend. We had to get the yellow watermelon because we don't know when that's going to like go out of yeah out of stock so we had to get that uh, we got a ton of stuff i'll throw the pictures up tomorrow how are those jackfruit steaks they're actually the, I, the plant-based I steak you, i still haven't been over to your backyard you got to come over <laughs> but uh i want you to invite me over because i'm going to give you we're, we're going to fry up some steaks and i'm going to i'm going to show you what it's all about y'all have a here nice i am bite. on the record before the leaves fall you and your lovely one. wife are invited to our place <laughs> And we'll do plant-based steaks on the grill. How's that? I look forward to it. We're going to pick them up at Friesen Brothers. They're real butchers. Also have all your Alberta protein covered, including real Alberta beef, pork, chicken, turkey, and more. 16 locations across the province. You can find them online at Friesen.com. Obviously, it goes without saying. The World Junior Hockey Championship literally kicking off today. They're dropping the puck in our home city of Edmonton today at the World Juniors has a big cloud hanging over it, to say the very least. Hockey Canada, the governing body for hockey in our country, the national governing body, mired in controversy, scandal is a word not often invoked fairly or reasonably. In this case, it feels like it barely covers it after allegations of sexual assault involving players from at least the 2003 and 2018 world junior teams have the entire country asking tough questions about what the future of Canada's most popular sport needs to look like our guest Jashvina Shah is the co-author of game misconduct hockey's toxic culture and how to fix it she's also a contributor to the globe and mail her piece released just a couple of days ago it should be game over for hockey Canada if the organization doesn't change Jashvina thank you so much for making time for us and welcome to real talk I think we have you muted now. We'll make sure that we get your audio so we can hear you. I wanted to, to quote you very quickly, a piece from your op-ed right at the end of it. Your piece in the Globe and Mail resonated with me strongly. I feel like you're speaking for me. You say, I love this sport, and every day I watch it become worse. Take us into where your head's at right now as you watch this Hockey Canada story unfold. You know, when over the course this has kind of been going on in my head for many, many years, which is part of the reason why the book came about. Um, my co-author and I have, you know, kind of been talking about the same things. And there's a group of us that have been saying the same things for many years, yet nothing seems to change. And I will say that the sexual assault allegations did not surprise me. And I, I didn't think I was at the point where I could be surprised by hockey because 
over the course of writing this book, we did a lot of research and, you know, there are so many things that happen that I actually forget what has already happened. Huh. Um, and even just in a three-year span, we pulled up like more than 180 incidents that we knew of. But I will say that like the taking money from player dues and keeping them in a secret stash to pay sexual assault victims under the table is definitely a new one. Hmm. Um, and I, I'm still unable to process that because I... For many reasons, I just cannot understand how that happened. I'm trying and, when we when we when we named the show Real Talk. This is like a year and a half ago, and I and I made this commitment. I was like, I I I I will keep it real. I will look into this camera, and I will keep it real. And I want to tell you a real and true story from yesterday. Uh, if you're like me, your computer always has like 30 windows or 30 tabs open, mm -hmm. right? And you're and you're online, and you make your way across the tabs as you try to complete your assignments. And I'm reading your piece in the Globe, right? I'm reading your piece about Hockey Canada. And one tab over, I'm registering my seven-year-old for hockey in the fall. And, and I'm registering him, and we're paying the $750 fee. And as I'm hitting the button, to be honest with you, I'm, I don't know if I say I'm feeling sick about it, but I felt very conflicted about it. And I wondered, like, are we even part of the problem? And there are hundreds of thousands of hockey parents across the country, no doubt, feeling the same way. And I think that's a big part of the problem. I mean, right now we're talking about Hockey Canada, but for years we've been talking about USA Hockey. And honestly, USA Hockey is a whole other beast in terms of their issues. But there's no other alternative. You know, if you are a parent or if you want to play hockey, you don't have a choice but to pay these dues. And I think that, you know, for some parents and I think for some people, this might cross the line. And I know that. I think we've heard from members of parliament kind of just being like, we're not going to do this anymore. Um, but it is hard. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Not play the sport? You don't really have a choice. And I think that's the toughest thing is you can't really get rid of a organization like USA Hockey or Hockey Canada because then you can't play. Mm. And I mean, it, it's easy to say, I guess, that the parents and the people who are registering are part of the problem. But like, it's it shouldn't be on them to have to say I'm not going to play this sport that I love or I'm not going to let this kid do something my kid do something that they love like I don't think that's fair well I think that it's fair to suggest that millions of people have been gobsmacked by the revelation of those payouts right you've argued mm -hmm. in your piece uh, in the globe that basically the entire board needs to be disbanded I've seen some people suggest that the organization needs a rebrand uh, I don't know to me it, it feels like a, like we're making it a little too easy on the organization to suggest that changing the name and changing the logo fixes everything obviously it would need to be completely uprooted and, and reinvented mm -hmm. but but what do you think would be an adequate step even aside from dissolving the board what do you do from there once you scorch the earth so to speak, what sends a clear message, not just to hockey players, but to the Canadians writ large, that this is being taken seriously and that there's going to be demonstrable, measurable change? I think seeing legal consequences, and I'm not a lawyer, if that's possible, would help. Um, because I, I don't know that there's much else you can do except get rid of the board. Now, the fact that any members of the board are still in place is a little baffling to me, because I think that's the first step you do. If you say you're committed to changing things, the people at the top who've enabled this and empowered this have to go. And, you know, if the if every member of the board didn't know what was going on with the secret fund, 
then they're also part of the problem, whether they knew and did nothing about it or didn't know, it's still on them ultimately, because they're the ones that are tasked with protecting kids. And, you know, it's, I actually work for a youth serving organization. So to me, it's mind boggling when I look at the changes Hockey Canada is making. And I'm like, these are basic protocols that you need to have in place when you're protecting children. Why were these never in place before? Mm. Because it's not just about the sexual assault allegations that are going on right now, because everything is connected. It's also about how we treat the players and how we do or do not protect our youth and who's teaching our youth. And it's mind boggling to me that like the Hockey Canada didn't require character references of coaches. Like that's a new initiative that they're taking. But like, you know, I again, I work for a youth servant organization. If anyone's spending time with a kid, we need character references. That's it. You know, and they have to pass background. It's very, very specific. And the fact that that was never in place before and that the board never thought it was important to have in place before is a major red flag to me Hmm. because you're dealing with kids like this is really important. It's not a joke. You know, parents drop their kids off. They expect you to protect them. They spend a lot of time with the coach. They expect you to teach them the right things. And we're not vetting who our coaches are. And, you know, Hockey Canada says all this stuff about we're going to change, you know, we're going to have um Specialized training, I think, for high performance athletes. By the time kids are already at major juniors, they are who they are. Mm. They're old enough that they are who they are and that it's very hard to change people once they are that old. And if you want to make them into the right people, you have to start when they're young. But none of these things have been in place. And I mean, I think that I don't know how you fix anything because that should have been done decades ago. Like that's not that's not a conversation we should be having right now in 2022. You know, it's been interesting hearing. You know, I mean, we have conversations. I talked to Robin Doolittle, the journalist, just a, a few days ago about this, and and she said something pretty striking. I mean, you know, typically the journalists will do their best to to remain objective, and 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 you know they don't want to sort of like take a side or infuse their opinion into the story. But she had this moment where she said, as a young person growing up in a small town where hockey was big. This is not surprising to any of us. Right. And I think that that said something. And look at you. You're nodding your head. That's what everybody does in Canada. When someone says something like everyone goes, yeah. And this is not an attack on on hockey. Like people are going to like you and I are hockey fans. Uh, and that's why I think I'm so motivated. I won't speak for you, but why I'm so motivated to see change here. I mean, I, I assistant coach on my my little guys team, just the little six and seven year olds. But we took this respect in sport course and you have to be certified. But I don't remember there being anything on the culture outside of coaching or how to get the most out of players or how to address a locker room without without sort of ostracizing or alienating young people who may not be on the same level of sport performance. But, but it didn't get in to some of this stuff that might feel awkward to some people, but obviously needs to be a top priority. Yeah, I think that's definitely important. I mean, I'm considering registering for coaching in the U.S., but I obviously have never taken the Canadian training. So kind of what I know is all just secondhand from people. And I know from experience that like, you know, even you have the people have to care, like like the coaches have to actually care about what they're taking. Um, But having, you know, it's a tough job. It's tough. You know, teaching kids is hard. It's not easy. And I mean, it's it's kind of sad that we don't really have the proper training in place, but I, I don't think that's necessarily the fault of respect and sport, the respect group. I think that 
it's part, it's majorly the fault of Hockey Canada that nobody ever thought about, we need to think about our kids and we need to care about our kids. You know, we need to maybe hire someone to develop a curriculum or hire, you know, people who do work with kids to train our coaches. Like it's their responsibility to do that. And so it's, it's shocking to me that that was never done because again, you know, I, I think I wrote in my piece, like they treat players like me, you know, they don't care about them as people. Mm. And I, if they did, like we would not be seeing this right now. Uh, Jillian, uh, one of our commenters on YouTube watching us live this morning says, I want a team of women in color running Hockey Canada. Actually, I want women of color running everything. <laughs> you make an interesting point in your op-ed in The Globe. Uh, you And I'll be honest, this never occurred to me, which you're going to go, yeah, that's kind of the point. Uh, you, say, <laughs> you say we need to stop talking about hockey and women's hockey. Can we get into that and why you think it's important? Yeah. I mean, I've covered like every level of hockey, women's and boy, like women's girls, boys, men, like prep school, college pros. And I, I mean, it's just like, even if you look at, and like some of the research I did was I went through Hockey Canada's financials and I saw what they spent on different areas. And it's like, labeling hockey and referring to that as just boys hockey and then referring to it as girls hockey specifically really saying that you know boys is the default and it just and people kind of I think have a hard time wrapping their heads around this but when you do something like that it's like you know basketball like NCAA basketball March Madness is just for the men right and the women's are their own women's March Madness you're basically saying that like you don't have a right to the sport kind of you have your own separate sport and you're not welcome in our group and it does make it seem like it's less than because you're saying this is the default of hockey and you're this other group, you know, you're women's hockey specifically. So you're not part of our hockey. And it's really subtle things like that. And it, it matters a lot because it's the language that the coaches use around the players that makes them who they are, you know, and it's part of what fuels homophobia and sexism and all those kinds of things. And people say things that might seem little, but they actually carry a big impact and it's, it's really subconscious, you know, um, but that's why a lot of people are like, I guess a group of people have been trying to kind of get the change, like uh, here in the US having NCAA ice hockey, you know, specifically talk about women's and men's because you're not just men's NCAA ice hockey refers to both. So mm. why are you only talking about the men? I'm even thinking as you're talking, I'm thinking of, for example, how the Olympic Games presented. It's the men's 100 meter. It's the women's 100 meter, right? It's not the 100 meter and the women's 100 meter. Meter. I'll be honest. I never thought of that before you wrote it. I really appreciate it. I can't be the only one. Um, your words have power. And, uh, and and I'm really grateful that you've agreed to join us today. Let me ask you about your book. You, you co-wrote it with Evan Moore. Um, the headline, uh, Game Misconduct, right across the, the front cover. Great design. It says hockey's toxic culture and how to fix it. Did you receive some blowback? I mean, you are a, you're a longtime hockey journalist. Like I said, you've, you've reported on college hockey. You've reported on pros. You've done a ton of work on it. Your career speaks for itself. Uh, within hockey circles, within the community, did you, did you get some blowback, some pushback on, on invoking the word toxic when talking about hockey, hockey culture? Well, at, the, at this point in my life, people kind of know who I am, and they kind of know not to mess with me. <laughs> so no one... <laughs> No one would say anything. Not to your face. Yeah. They know they're not going to win the argument. Okay. Um, I think the only, the only interesting thing that I got from people that I know or that I've been around is that like people would be calling me being like, is there anyone I know about who's in this book? Like, is it negative? Is it attacking me? And I just kind of be like, calm down. <laughs> That's not the point. 
<laughs> the only person we went after is really John Van Beesbrook. Um, but for the most part, you know, people was that I think based I've on already... his that was on his racist comments back in the day when he yeah. was with the Florida Panthers. Yeah, that was brutal. Oh, oh my god, we got um, no. It was it was from when he was at the um, coaching in the co- That's right. That's right. Yeah. So the former Florida Panthers goalie, but he was coaching in the Ontario Hockey League, I think. And and uh, yeah, obviously yeah. that was yeah. horrific. It was really bad. And we talked to the reporter who actually broke the story, and it, it's actually worse than we thought it was. So. Um, mm. The fact that, you know, the fact that he's like in a position of power, a front facing position with USA hockey, it's a problem, like a big problem. And they're not, they don't want to change it. So, hmm. I mean, they're what is one of your, like, obviously we want people to pick up your book, uh, but you know, you talk about hockey's toxic culture and how to fix it, uh, excluding what we've already talked about today and some of the steps specifically in the context of hockey Canada, uh, but bigger picture, zoomed out, what are a couple of ways that you would fix hockey culture? What are a couple of things that people can walk away from this interview thinking about and, and maybe even take action on in their own communities or even within their own community hockey organizations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thinking about the um, nice person on YouTube who said women of color should be running Hockey Canada. I mean, I think one of the best things to do, like, it's not an easy thing to ask. I know it's a time commitment, but if you can get out and be a coach, I think that's a huge thing. And I think that's where it starts. Um, because another, another thing that is actually very powerful and probably the only way to make like change at a higher level is like, you legit have to stop spending money. I mean, with the player dues, there's not much that you can do. But I think a big part of why Hockey Canada decided it had to respond is because the sponsor said, we're not going to deal with this. You need to fix it. Right. So if you get after the sponsors and honestly, believe me, complaining on Twitter actually works like it might seem stupid, but it's really not like it works like 70 percent of the time. And if enough people are voicing complaint and enough people are, you know, alerting sponsors and saying we're not going to deal with this, that's what carries the most pull. Because at the end of the day, like money is what people care about, is what these people care about. So it's really hard to say, I'm not going to have my kids play hockey and I'm not going to pay you dues because that, while I think it's great, I think it's hard, you know, for people to, and I, again, like, I I don't think it's particularly fair to ask someone to say, you have to leave what you love. You know, I don't think that's fair. You didn't create it. You know, the people, the parents playing these dues, they're not the ones who put their money into this. But they don't want to be complicit. Right. No. Like, like nobody wants to feel like I know this isn't how banking and accounting works, but people don't want to feel like their dues went to settle the sexual assault. Yeah. Their dues went to silence the complainant. Nobody wants to feel that way. Right. And yeah. that's why I think a lot of people are wrestling with it. But but you're right. I appreciate your it's it's a measured approach you're taking. I mean, I, I feel like it would be it'd be brutal if my little guy had to miss hockey, the sport he desperately just absolutely loves uh, because of this. But at the same time, as a, as a, as a Canadian, as a human, you want to do the right thing and you want to sort of meaningfully respond or, 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 or take a position on something. Are you surprised that, I, I mean, I'm not, but are you surprised that Team Canada's entered in the World Juniors? We're the host country. We have some of the, I mean, you're, you're laughing and shaking your head for people listening on the podcast. I'm not either, but it had been suggested that one way that Hockey Canada could indicate that it was taking this very seriously would be to have Connor Bedard and Owen Power and everybody else sit this one out. Oh, God. I think that would cause like a 
a catastrophe. That would be a catastrophe. I can't, I mean, listen, like we're on what four years running of John Van Beesbrook picking teams for the world juniors at USA. Like I don't expect anything from anyone anymore. Hmm. I mean, it would be great. It'll never happen. I mean, it's just, I don't even know if, because then I think you'd have people who are mad, right? Like if you're a hockey, I love world juniors because these are the players that I cover. I cover college hockey. Yeah. Um. So I think it's hard if you're like, too, if you're a fan and you're like, I didn't do anything wrong. And now you're taking this away from me too. Right. So on that note, I kind of would, you know, get it, but also like, they're just never going to do that. It, it's too detrimental. I think hmm. that's the thing, right? Sports is the, it's King. It's the most important thing. Hockey is 100%. the most important thing in the world. And that's where we have, that's where, that's where all of this stems from. You know, you talked about the small communities, like um, something we tackled in our book is hero worship, uh, because that's what it is. You know, you're in these small communities, hockey is everything, you know, if these players are going to be stars, that's the most important thing that they can pass a puck and score, right? That's how we view it as a society. And that causes a whole other host of issues. Like, you know, thinking about Sheldon Kennedy and Graham Smith or Graham James. Yeah. James, I was like, that's not his name. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, thinking about how that happened, it's because he was in a major position of power and everyone worshiped him because he could win. And that's how he was able he to was on the cover of the hockey news. He was he was called like the hockey whatever of the year. I don't remember what, what it was, but yeah, I mean, this is it's unbelievable. And 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 that's not just I'm not making excuses. I'm not an apologist. I I, I hope that's evident. But you know, I mean it, that extends beyond hockey. Like if we if we yeah. if we look at at what our movie stars and mm-hmm. our favorite singers or our artists or, or whatever what some of them have espoused personally or how they've conducted themselves in yeah. in their relationships or and and really we as a society just give famous people passes all mm-hmm. the time and I know I'm not saying anything profound here. Uh, but right now, it's the sport of hockey that has the spotlight being shone on it. Tony's watching right now. She's wondering if if you think that the toxic culture prevalent in, in uh, hockey is it also an issue in European sport, or is it a North American issue? What do you think based on putting that book together? That's a good question. You know, we actually didn't really look that much into Europe into European sports. Um, the the interesting thing about hockey is that it's so everyone comes from so many different places and it's not just siloed into different countries. Right. Um, You know, you've got a lot of cross pollination between Canada and the U S you've got a lot of players coming in from Europe. And I don't, you know, I I think it's a little different because I think it's just how Europe approaches life is different than how they do it here. Um, But that's not something we really looked that much into aside from the fact that players like I think there was this 11 year old who was like living in a hotel by himself from Europe because he was trying to play hockey here like that shouldn't happen um but I think outside of that and the whole aspect of building we didn't take that much of a look at it because there's just too much stuff that's going on here in North America and you know even just looking at these two countries in the past like in a 3 year span there was just too much too many things you know too many topics to tackle and it just that would have kind of made it a little bit more difficult but i think that's definitely an interesting thing to talk about because it's a cultural thing too right like it's how we prioritize sports probably differently than the Europeans do. I don't think they would do what we do where we're like here go to a hockey academy when you're like 14, right? Mm. Or like go to I don't think they do that the way that we do. So it's a very cultural thing. Yeah, there's usually I mean I know there's import rules and everything with the CHL. 
you know, the dub and the O and, and the QMJHL. But, but you know, you get like the odd, you know, there will be like that one player that I think of Pavel Brendel, the Calgary Hitman, or Zidane Ochara or, or whatever. The Q seems to attract several. Um, the odd player, Neil Yakupov, was over in Sarnia. I'm, I'm just off the top of my head. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it seems to be less. And obviously the travel distance between Europe's different too. I don't even, I don't know how parents, even in the WHL, I think parents are saying, you're, you're saying bye to your son. He's like 14, 15. I mean, obviously 15 would be young in the dub, but like 16 years of age, 15, 16, you're gone. And you're like yeah. riding the buses. You're staying with billets. You're, you're training in the summers. You're it's, it's really, I don't mean that. I don't mean it's a robbed childhood, but I don't know as a parent, how you'd wrap your mind around it. Now the kid wants to chase the dream and that's amazing. And obviously you'd be so proud of your young person competing for their country or competing in a, the highest level of sport. But at the same time, there's, there's also consequences that can come with it. And I would imagine for a lot of parents, I've, I've, I've even tried to walk a mile, um, Jasmine in the, in like for the parents, if you're a hockey parent, of that 03 or, or 2018 World Juniors team, like, what are you thinking right now, right? Like, like you're calling your son, and you're going to have a pretty awkward conversation over, like, were you one of the people in this room? It's been interesting to see some of the players come forward in an attempt to clear their name, to say mm -hmm. I was, and people are starting to keep tick the names off the list of who's come forward and said, I was not there. I was gone from the city. At the, I was gone from London, Ontario when that allegedly happened. I was gone from Halifax when that, you know. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, just for hockey parents trying to wrap their minds around this, it's it's a really, really... I mean, this has shaken people to their core. I think it's hard. Um, I think for like for me particularly, because I've been covering it for so long, I went to a school that, you know, had a host of issues with, you know, sexual assault allegations. Where did um, you go? I went to Boston University. There uh, were two players arrested for alleged rape during the time I was covering the team. Wow. Yeah. So, and, you know, like I know there are people that I'm friends with who are on like those teams um, that I still keep in touch with. And I think it's, I know because I've been exposed to it, what the reality is like of this culture. I think if you're a parent and you don't quite know because you're not there the way we are, or you're not following it the way we are, I think it's a really difficult thing to wrap your head around. You know, I remember, um, I remember our captain at the time during the banquet, his mom was talking about how the program made her son a better man. And I was thinking about this, like, in my head, it was just so bizarre. It was such a bizarre statement, because I'm like, I know some of the people that have come out of this program. And it's not necessarily a reflection of the program itself. Because like I said, you know, when you're 19, 20 years old, you're coming into a college hockey team, you pretty much are who you are at that point. Um, the ones that I've seen most likely to change are the ones who come in as true freshmen and are 18. Otherwise, you know, you are who you are. And it's all, if you're not recruiting the right kids, it, it's hard to change them, you know? And it's just like, they don't understand. They have this idea that sports tells them and everyone tells them like kind of this subconscious PR campaign that like, we're going to make your child into a man and we're going to make them a great person. And that's what they believe. And they're not there, you know, their kids go away at 16. They don't see what happens until it's in the news, yeah. you know? Was that, I'm, were I'm, those two arrests, the BU uh, ones, was that sort of what started you? Was that, was that maybe a major factor in you writing the book? You're shaking your head. No, no, no. Um, I mean, it, it was kind of 
a bizarre situation, I guess, to be in because um, when you're a student and a student reporter, I think for a lot of people, there's still like loyalty they have to their school and they're like, uh-huh. oh, so-and-so would never do this, but I'm on the other side, like guys, like I, I don't know. I was exposed to it, I think a lot earlier than other people maybe were. Um, it didn't really have anything to do with this book. Um, I don't know. It's just, but I just kind of grew up as a reporter in a completely different environment because of the way things were at BU. But, you know, it's not just that, like I was never the only person of color in the um, press box, which is not usual for, even for like an NHL team, forget like a small college hockey team, you know? Um, I was never the only woman there again, very unusual. So like, I just grew up in a completely different environment and I'm sure it has influenced and made me who I am, but I don't think that that directly kind of led to this book. Right. The book, uh, game misconduct, hockey's toxic culture and how to fix it. Jashvina Shah's joined us. She's the co-author. Uh, you can also read her piece, uh, just a couple of days ago, August 6th, that was published in the globe and mail at the It should be game over for hockey Canada. If the organization doesn't change, it's been a real pleasure having you here on the show. I'm, I'm obviously going to keep an eye on your career and I look forward to checking in with you again. Thanks for making time for us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. I just noticed in the, uh, in the comments, we should have complimented Jashvina on her stack of books in the background. Everybody's still paying close attention to that. If you hear this on mm-hmm. the podcast, keep in mind, you can always go check out the show on YouTube as well. Thanks to everybody that when you hear an interview like this, or maybe our previous conversation with Racky Pancholi earlier this morning, uh, maybe it was yesterday, a conversation with uh, Charles Adler or guests uh, late last week, whatever it is, Sapria Devetti, of course, joining us on Monday as well in an unusual slot. She's usually with us on Fridays. Um, thank you for those of you that that hit like, that subscribe to our channels and that share our content. If you rate our podcast and leave a comment, that's huge for us. And we really appreciate you doing your part to make sure that real talk winds up in front of as many people as possible. The show gets stronger and stronger the more that you engage And we really appreciate that. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food want us to remind you that they have the Mine Pet Platter right now on special. Check this out. I'm showing you my screen. You can find Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food on Instagram. And they've got some great informative posts there on the slow feeders versus the Mine Pet Platters. If you're going, what on earth are you guys talking about? Uh, We feed our dog kibble in a bowl, in a dish. Oh, come on. You got to check this out. You know that that, that dogs actually really, really benefit from this mine pet platter. This is what our dogs, Moses and Monroe, eat off of. And and right now, you can get 30% off any size or color of the mine pet platter. It runs through till August 16th, so you've got just one week left. If you use the discount code MINE30 at checkout, MINE30 at checkout at granddog.ca, they'll ship across the country. You can get in touch with them if you have any questions or want to ask about shipping costs and the like. Moses and Monroe have benefited intellectually, digestively, and otherwise from using the Mine Pet Platter from granddog.ca. I know someone's going to chirp me and say, how do you know your dog has benefited intellectually, Jespo? And I'll say, because they told me so. That's how much they've benefited intellectually. 
Our friends at Apex Automation are putting out the call for Canada's best engineers. If you go to apexautomation.ca and click on the careers link, you'll find more about their open positions and what it means to work at Apex. They hire extraordinary people and give them the opportunity to develop and reach their full potential, both technically and as a human being. People don't leave companies. People leave people. And at Apex, people matter. If you want to read more about why you as a skilled engineer need to go work at Apex Automation, check them out today online at apexautomation.ca. And a quick heads up, we're just two days away from Miracle Treat Day coming up at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park. This is a huge day every year for them because they donate every single cent from the blizzards that they sell on Thursday, August 11th to the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. That's right, Miracle Treat Day has helped raise millions of dollars for life-saving care, the resources, the equipment, everything that they need to ensure that the Stollery Children's Hospital continues to provide the best care for children in the country. You know, the reach of the Stollery Children's Hospital is remarkable. They fly kids in. These are patients, young patients that have enormous, significant medical needs. And oftentimes those resources are only available at the Stollery. That's why they draw from northern B.C., from Saskatchewan, from Yukon, the Northwest Territories, and of course across the province of Alberta. So do yourself a favor. Grab a blizzard on Thursday from the Dairy Queens and Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. And keep in mind, if you get in touch with them ahead of time, you can pre-order. Maybe you want to order 25 of them and bring them to the kids' summer camp. Maybe you want to order 50 blizzards and drop them off at the office, all in support of a great cause. Miracle Treat Day coming up this Thursday, August 11th. We had some fun with Charles Adler yesterday, if you missed it, talking about Pierre Polyev's most recent video, the one that he posted from his car. Hola, amigo. Checking in with uh, Justin Trudeau. And uh, it was a pretty funny post. We do you want to rewatch it? Do we, do we want to watch some of it? <laughs> Let's why, do why don't it. we tee it up? We won't watch it because I think we pulled like a minute and a half of it to play with Chuck. But why don't we roll like the first 30 seconds or so for some context here? Now, let me let me be clear. And I've said this before. Pierre Polyev's videos have actually been very impressive. His reach, the engagement on them, he's getting hundreds of thousands of views. He sold more than 300,000 memberships. Obviously, he's connecting with people. These videos from Vancouver where he says, who can afford a $2 million home like this? And this is a knockdown. Or talking about community and talking about the economy and his first paper route as a young boy. There's no doubt Pierre Polyev is a great communicator but this video had us chuckling because we're human beings here it is hola justin trudeau it's your old amigo pierre polyev coming to you from rural manitoba with a few quick questions that you can answer for me while you relax reclined on the beach drinking a cerveza in between trips out on the surfboard before i get on with it though can i just take off this mask i don't mean to be too forward it's just i noticed you weren't wearing a mask when you were getting off your private jet, even though you're requiring everyone else to wear one on a plane. Some might call that unmasked hypocrisy. Okay, so this is Pierre Polyev, and he wants everybody to know that while Justin Trudeau is on a private jet in Costa Rica with his family, Pierre Polyev is pounding the pavement in rural Manitoba. 
well, number one, Justin Trudeau's the prime minister. You're not. And number two, you're out campaigning to be the leader of a party where you hope you will become prime minister of Canada, in which circumstance you will fly on private jets with your family because that's what prime ministers and presidents and chancellors do. Now, the reason of bringing this all up, number one, is to thank everybody that's shared mine and Adler's back and forth on that. We had about 30,000 views on it yesterday on the tweets and the podcast downloads, and we really appreciate that. But number two, our good pal, Brittle Star. You remember him? He was on the show a while back. Absolutely love this guy. He released a video of his own, and we wanted to share it with you as a little thank you for sticking around to this point in the show. Here he is. Hola. Let me get this off obviously just for the video <clears throat> i'm pretending this is a message to the guy who's got the job that i want he thinks he's so cool i'm saying a bunch of things some of them might be true but what's great is that i don't think you'll bother checking any of it nah you'll just get angry and angry people make me rich and those angry people will never be angry with me right this plan is going to work out great hasta la vista baby <laughs> So you could follow Brittle Star on social media. We always appreciate what he puts out there. Just really elevating the political discourse, or at least putting it into context for the rest of us. We're going to celebrate innovation 30 seconds from now. Before we do, let me remind you about the storied and remarkable award-winning history of the Jeep Grand Cherokee. It's North America's best-selling SUV in history, and you can find the best selection of Jeep Grand Cherokees, Wranglers, and the entire Jeep lineup, including that 4xE, that's the electric Jeep at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. You can search their entire inventory, new and pre-owned, online right now from the comfort of your own home, SherwoodDodge.com, StAlbertDodge.com, or of course, you can go see them in person. You make sure you let them know that Real Talk sent you. And don't forget, the reason their dealerships are so successful, their service doesn't stop when you sign the papers and drive off with your new rig. No, they're proud of the relationships they maintain with their customers and especially proud of the return business. Many people have bought their family vehicles from Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge for decades. You can find all of our sponsors under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. On Tuesdays, we celebrate innovation. We celebrate people making a difference. It's called The Leading Edge presented by our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy. And today we shine the light on a fella that's just getting set to graduate from university. Yeah, that's right. He's just 20 years of age. He's already the founder of Brago Labs. We're talking about Shubham Banerjee, who at just 13 years of age wondered to himself how blind people read. Now, the more research he did as a young man, he realized that Braille printers were prohibitively expensive. As a matter of fact, they came in at about $2,000 a piece, meaning that basic technology for people with difficulty seeing, including the blind community, well, these were just simply out of reach. So, at just 13 years of age, he managed to design and create a working Braille printer. He used a Lego Mindstorms EV3 kit and $5 worth of hardware from Home Depot to get the job done. How amazing is that? Now, it caught the attention of the World Health Organization. He attracted investment from Intel. The guy was 13 at the time. 
and launched his startup two years later, Brago Labs, with the support of his parents. He was a miner at the time. Well, Brago Labs has released an app, a web platform that continues to grow and develop this innovative technology. And right now, this young fella, Shubham Banerjee, at just 20 years of age, is set to graduate from UCAL Berkeley. He's a member of the class of 2023. He's already been named to Fortune's list of the top 18 under 18. And that's why he's in this week's spotlight on The Leading Edge. The Leading Edge is presented Tuesdays on Real Talk by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. Coming up on the show tomorrow, we're going to take a look at this story making news across the country. A Saskatchewan private Christian school has had nearly 20 former students come forward to talk about the culture there. Some problematic political involvement, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. We expect tomorrow we'll be speaking with at least two graduates from that class. And later this week, we'll talk to three women in media that are facing major blowback online. Let's figure it out. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.